Good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here this morning. As we begin our worship time this morning, I invite you to stand and let's declare God's word together from Psalm 100. A few verses from Psalm 100. Let's joyfully declare God's word together and then we're going to enter in joyful praise through song. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is sure to give this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord.
Turn to the person next to you, say good morning, shake their hand, encourage them, and then you can be seated. going to continue our worship through giving as the ushers come forward this morning, take up this morning's offering, and we continue to worship through music and the study of God's Word and see Paul as he travels throughout Asia. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being here, to be able to honor you with our voices, our lives, and Lord, we know that everything that we have comes from you. We want to give back to you the first fruits of that which you have given to us, this offering. May you use it for your kingdom's purpose to establish ministry here and and make disciples here in Columbia County and in Oregon and throughout the world. Lord, as we continue to do the work of ministry, Lord, I thank you that you allow us to be part of that process. Lord, we pray for the sick. We pray for those that are grieving. Lord, as those people and those names are coming to mind even now for the people here, may we continue to lift them up. May they be encouraged also. May we be the encouragers. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Great in all the earth is your glory, O God. The universe declares how amazing you are over history and eternity. You alone are Lord and King. That again, great in all, great in all the earth is your glory, O God. The universe declares how amazing you are over history and eternity. You alone are Lord and King. Every 
God's word again from Psalm 100, verses 3 and 5. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Brighter than the brightest star in heaven. 
giving us a Christ to, to follow and just lead our lives in. Just open our hearts, Lord, as we get ready to receive the word from Pastor Kerry. Just lay your hands on this room and thank you for letting us gather here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to Acts 20. As we continue to follow Paul on his missions journeys. As we look at the life of Paul, the question comes up, what makes a good minister of the gospel? What, what makes a good servant of God? And the answer is really a love for people. It's a love for others. It's a love that, is, that drives you so that the other will grow in the faith and knowledge of Jesus. To be able to see other people saved and, and to make it. To be successful spiritually. We think about some, some of the greats that would drive people like Luther and Calvin. Circuit preachers and Puritans like John Bunyan and, and Robert Murray McShane and, and others that would preach like Spurgeon. And they, had, they were driven. If you ever take a look at, at some of these greats that would go out and, and give of themselves, and they would give and give, and it didn't matter if they were sick or they were tired or, or, or poor or whatever, they were driven. They were driven to see others come to faith. Others be able to grow in in knowing who God is. You consider the words of the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, who was called to prophesy to the nation and, and watch them. And he says this in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, he says, But if I say, I will not remember him or speak of him, his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in. And I cannot endure it. Jeremiah thought, I cannot not speak of the gospel. I cannot not speak of God's word. And Paul was much that same way, in that same spirit. Paul would say in his letter to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9.16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion no, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Do you feel that way? We should. We should. We should be compelled. Do you know that God has given to you the answers for life? He's given you the one thing that everybody needs. Hope. The answer for all of their sorrows. And the separation from God, Jesus. God ordains the course of our lives. Every single one of us. God's got a plan. And the appointments that you'll have, the engagements that will take place, the events that happen in your life. God is writing your story daily. And all the people you encounter are divine appointments for you to be able to share the gospel, whether you do it verbally or you show the gospel through your actions. Your life preaches the gospel. Is there enough of that gospel being preached for people to be saved? It's a challenge. The other challenge is this. 
What do you do when you're tired? What do you do when you're frustrated? What do you do when you're discouraged? When you want to pack it in? You need to stay the course. Stay the course and finish well. Faith in itself is it's going to struggle. We're going to have hard times and faith is going to struggle to grow. And the only way for faith to grow is if faith is continually nurtured. If, if that faith, both in yourselves and in others, is nurtured by mature believers, being with mature believers will encourage your faith. And as a mature believer, you need to encourage the faith of others. You're no island, and you're not going to make it if you isolate. One of the things that we learned through this COVID crisis, that I believe it was a demonic delusion to isolate the church. To remove people from the continual fellowship in person and the teaching of the Word of God. Not just our church, but many churches saw as much as 20% plus of their congregants no longer coming and settling. And we wonder why we're in the state that we're in. Jesus calls us to make disciples, to go make disciples. And baptize them and teach them. You've been given the truth to life. And that's what Paul's doing as we're going to take a look at Paul today. In Acts 20 verses 1 through 16, it reads much as Luke is writing this like a travel journal. But there are some really strong messages that are embedded in this. In fact, Paul is finishing his his journey. This is Paul's third missionary trip throughout Asia, Macedonia, into Corinth. From here, he'll come back to Jerusalem, and then he'll leave Jerusalem and end up going to Rome. He will never go back to the churches that he is visiting now. He wants to finish well. He wants to leave them well. What if today was the last day that you had on earth to talk with people? What message would you leave them? What if it was the last time that you had the opportunity to engage with an individual what would be the last words that you would share with them? As Paul travels, he's traveling in, in a timeline of 52 to 57 A.D. And he had one focus. Strengthen the churches. He's moved from the evangelist church planter to now the discipler and the strengthener of those churches. Why? So that they would remain faithful. To be able to continue to grow. He would give to his young son in the faith, Timothy, a message keep preaching the word. In fact, in 1 Timothy 4.13, it says, Until I come, give attention to public reading of the Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Now, why would Paul tell Timothy that? Because when you remove the public attention, the gathering for teaching, for exhortation and encouragement of the church gathering together, people become isolated, they become weak, and they become open to all kinds of false doctrines and teachings. It's a dangerous place. It was dangerous in Paul's day, and it's dangerous in our day. He desired to see these young churches flourish. Now, in this, Paul explained to the churches and, and that he was there to teach. Paul felt personally responsible that these churches would grow, that they would be strengthened, 
that there would be another generation beyond him and the twelve to continue on. And I praise God that Paul did a good job in that because we are here today because of that. And so Paul desired to meet with the churches. So as a child of God and as a servant of God, you are called to stay the course. To encourage one another and to publicly share the Word of God. We're going to take a look at this journey. If you would stand as we read Acts chapter 20, verses 1-16. through 16. Luke is writing to Theophilus to account for the journeys and the growth of the church. But look at the embedded message that's in here, and may the Holy Spirit teach us. Acts 20, verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. And when a plot was formed against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pius, and Aristus, Seducus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. And we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came to them as Troas within five days, and there we stayed seven days. And on the first day of the week, when we, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day. And he prolonged his message until midnight. No jokes, please. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And Paul kept on talking. And he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up as dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak, and then he left. They took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. But we were going ahead to the ship, go set sail for Asos, intending from there to take Pilate on board, So, for he had arranged it, intended himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, he took him on, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we arrived and followed the opposite of Chios. And the next day, we crossed over to Samos. And the next day following, we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So one of the things that we see, not just in this passage, but in Paul's life, was Paul was dedicated to the spiritual growth and spiritual maturity of others. He's finalizing his his mission and his ministry out through the land of Asia. He had been in Ephesus for two and a half years. And if you remember last week, there was a riot by Demetrius, the silversmith. So he's been there for two and a half years. He's been teaching regularly in the halls there, and all of a sudden there's this riot. Well, Paul had already determined that it was time for him to go, and he was planning on going. So the riot really didn't run him out of town. 
But he, he had these travel plans to go through Macedonia and then to return to Jerusalem within this. Now, if you take notes, one of the things that you can do when you study God's Word is look at what's called a harmony. The harmony is this. This is where multiple passages in Scripture overlap each other and help explain the account. So what's happening here in Acts verses, uh, in 20, verses 1 and 2, is also accounted for in the following verses. Especially all of 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 9, specifically 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 12 to 13, chapter 7, verses 5 to 7, Romans chapter 15, verse 19, 2 Corinthians 10 to 13, Romans 15, 23 to 16, 2. You say, well, why did that happen? Because Paul wrote these on this journey. These were actual writings. And so you start to see things overlap. And it is important to harmonize the Scripture. It doesn't come in conflict. It harmonizes. And so, so when we go through verse by verse passages in Scripture, it's, it paints this portrait for us, and that's what Luke's doing. So what does the journey look like? We mentioned a number of different cities. And so... We, we know that Jerusalem is here, and here's Tyre. Well, Paul had left on this journey from Antioch, and he traveled all the way through Galatia and then um, Asia, and here is Ephesus here. Now, Paul from Ephesus at one point was thinking about taking a journey all the way back to Syria, as we'll read, but no, he's going to go up all the way through these churches, and this last October, we went to these churches along this coast, up to Troas, is up here, Philippi is in Macedonia. So he's going to go from Asia to Macedonia, and then he'll travel around to Corinth, which is here in Greece. We'll call this Greece. And then from here, he'll travel all the way back via a ship. And here you have Asos, Mytilene, Chios, Samos, and then Miletus. So hopefully that is going to frame your mind. We're going to refer to this map multiple times within this because you've got to be able to picture this. This was, again, one of the reasons why we travel both in the Near East and to Israel, because when we see these things, we're not, they're, they're not in our minds. But this is where the church and the, the early church was. It was the birth of the church. And so Paul is narrating this time and the letters and how the churches had began. Now, in verse 1, we know that it says, After the uproar, Paul sent for the disciples. Why? Because these were the last words. Paul had a, had a passion to see people discipled. These were the last words within the disciples after the riot to be able to encourage the church that was there. And then he is going to move on. What was the encouragement? The Word of God. Wherever Paul was, he was teaching the Word of God within this. And so he was going to send for the disciples within this. The harsh reality is there are no guarantees for tomorrow. Right? You want to make your last words good. You don't want to regret your last words. You may not see some people again. Through the holidays, you visited family, you visited friends. What were the last words? What's the, what's the, the best last words you can give somebody? Give them Jesus. Give them Jesus. Let those words resonate. So as Paul left Ephesus, he was hoping to meet uh, Titus in Troas. He had sent Titus ahead of time 
with the first letter of Corinthians to go to Corinth and to read this letter to be able to deal with some of the sins and some of the things that were going on. So Titus took the first letter of Corinthians and from Paul who penned it and then sent Titus ahead to give it to Corinth and say, look it, get your act together, you guys. I'm going to get there, but get your stuff together. You've got some things that are going on there that shouldn't be happening within this. And so he was hoping to meet uh, Paul, or I'm sorry, Titus in Troas. We read about that in 2 Corinthians 2, 12 to 13. But when he gets to Troas, Titus is not there. So what does Paul do? Well, he does what he always does. He holds church. He teaches. He has a Bible study. He continues to teach the doctrine. What did they not have in Paul's day? They didn't have a Bible. The New Testament was being written as in real time. They didn't have it. Everything that, the, that Paul was teaching were things that he had been taught directly from Jesus. And so the Word of God was verbally communicated. They didn't have, hey, turn to 2 Corinthians. It hadn't been written yet. And so within this, this is real time. And so everywhere he stopped, he was giving the Word of God verbally. Because the Word of God was written in his heart. And so Titus wasn't there, so he goes on to Philippi in Macedonia. There he meets up with Titus. Titus meets up with him, coming back from Corinth and says, Hey, Paul, everything you wrote to them, they listened to. They're looking forward to seeing you. They repented of their sin. And it was encouraged. And, and Paul was encouraged that was there. While Paul was there and in this journey, he would like to write the letter of Romans while he was in Philippi. He'd be there for about three months, discipling people, waiting for the weather and the ship and all the different things that were going on. So he writes this letter to the church in Rome and the things that were happening in Rome that needed to be addressed. And he would finish his public ministry there and he would continue writing on. You think, well, I thought Paul was a church planter. Well, he was. But there's a time in transition, in change, when Paul stopped being the church planter, breaking new ground, to becoming the discipler or the teacher. God will call you to different ministries in different ages and stages of your life. God will call you from one place to another, and that's okay. God will, in, in, in different times in your life, God will say, this is the ministry that I want you to do, and now I want you to do this ministry. And now I want you to go here and do this ministry. Why? Because the gospel has to have feet. And you're the feet. So wherever God takes you, take the gospel. Encourage the believers. And share the gospel wherever it will be. Now, again, it may be hard, but when you leave, leave well. When you leave, encourage others. And give them the word of God so that there is no doubt. So Paul goes through this, this whole journey and he's setting out and he goes through the districts in verse 2 and exhorting everybody and then he comes to the Greek. He was going to be in, in Corinth. So in verses 3b to 4, as he's getting ready to go, there's a plot. Now, I can say this, spiritually investing in other people is not going to be easy. When you step out in faith to invest the gospel into other people, you are going to get opposition, aren't you? There are going to be people that are going to try to shut you up. 
And so Paul is at the port. He's getting ready to go to Syria because he knows he needs to, he's got the money from Titus and they, they know they're going to do this, but there's still some work left to be done. And so God says, no, I don't want you to go there. And so the, the plot to kill him actually redirects him. He says, no, I think I'm going to go through Macedonia. Well, who changed the course? God. Why? Because there was still work to be done within this. We have plans in our lives, but God is the one that sets our agenda. And so as he's getting ready to go, some of the Jews that were there wanted to kill him. Now how? I don't know. Were they going to throw him off the dock? Or were they going to wait till he got on the boat? I don't know. But he changed directions according to the Spirit's leading and changed his travel plans to go up through north and to go visit Corinth and to do all of these other things. This is real time. We're looking at this in the rearview mirror seeing what Paul did, but this is real time. And so how do you know where God's leading you? Well, one of the things is you listen to the Holy Spirit. You listen to that direction. It, 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 it's not as simple as, you know, handwriting on the wall or, or, you know, a text message. This is God and this is what I want you to do. No, God speaks in a still, small voice. He t- also speaks through circumstances. But know this, Paul was not afraid of opposition, but he didn't go running into it either. And so he thought, well, you know, I got some opposition this way and they got a plan this way. I, I, I think I'm going to go... The other way. So he takes his seven representatives as we saw the list. Now, who are these people that are there with names that we can't hardly pronounce? It wasn't Bill and Bob and Joe. These were all representatives of the churches that had donated in the giving, that, the money that was going to go to the church in Jerusalem that was being persecuted. Paul was on a fundraising campaign in addition to the gospel preaching so that monies would be raised in such a way that the Gentile churches that benefited from the gospel were going to support the Jerusalem church where the gospel originated because they were being persecuted. And so now we see the church has grown to being virtually a global church. And we see it being organized and serving one another and ministering to one another. And these are all representatives. These people are the leaders of the next generation of the church. They would take that information from the experience and take those monies and go back to their church and say, this is how we're partnering with the church of Jerusalem. I love our church and our our desire for missions. And, and every opportunity we have to have missionaries come and hear, or us to go to them, to partner. Whether it's sending money to Romania to support those that are in Ukraine, or Mozambique, or, or to Germany, or to Mexico, or wherever. We want to partner. I would encourage you to maybe pray about being on the, on the missions committee team as we look through how can we support them. We're always looking for the opportunity to be able to send people in country to go to places that we can't send a missions team. And there are some closed places that we just can't go with a big team, but we can send one or two. And I can tell you this, when I visited Pete and Charity in Mozambique, we were the first church, I think it was in, I may get this wrong, I believe it was about 15 years to be able to visit them in country. And they were encouraged. 
visiting people where they are doing the work of ministry is encouraging to them. Because if you're on the mission field, you could feel all alone, separated and isolated. And so Paul had this team of leaders that were there from these churches to come. They would hear about the benefits and they would bring them back and encourage their congregation for supporting the congregation in Jerusalem that is there. And to continue the work. And I believe that's what Paul was looking at doing when he asked this group of people in, in verse 4 and 5 and then 6 to be able to do that, to experience that work. One of the greatest things you can do to invest in others is have people come and work with you alongside you in ministry. If you're not involved in ministry, you should be. If you're not actually doing the work of ministry, you should be. You encourage others that are doing the work and you will be encouraged. And it's a partnership that is there. And that ministry team develops the ongoing gifting of the gospel. And so this delegation was set ahead to Troas and they would go. Now, within this, we see in verses 5 and 6, they, they'd gone ahead and were waiting for us in Troas. We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And came to them in Troas within five days and then stayed there. Well, you kind of look at this and you say, unleavened bread. Keep in mind, Paul's a Jew. Just because he's a Jew doesn't mean he stopped celebrating the Jewish holidays. And so we have this, this window of time where we know Paul was celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread and he wants to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost. That was part of his culture. And so he, he didn't stop being who he was. Now, as Paul would travel... He would travel to Philippi. Now, again, I want to show you the map to orient yourself. So here, Paul is up in Philippi. Troas is there. And so he would be going from there, and he would travel all the way around. This is the Aegean Sea. This is a long way for him to travel within this. And the other thing that I think is interesting that I don't want you to miss is look at verse 5 and verse 6. There is a significant change in the pronoun us and we. Don't miss that. Why? Because Luke rejoins the team. The last time we saw Luke was in Acts 16. So for whatever reason, Luke had been away. But now he rejoins the team. So Luke is now back narrating this as an in-person. And, and so we see Luke doing this. So Paul and Luke, they sail from Neapolis to Troas, which took about five days. They come back into Troas to finish that trip. We know that he was motivated to get the money to Jerusalem. In fact, he writes about this in time in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 to 28. So, he, so as he's writing to the, this letter of Romans, this is what's going on in his mind. He says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints for the Macedonian and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so and they are indebted to them. For the Gentiles have shared in the spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit, I will go on the way to you to Spain or to Rome. Paul's end game was to get to Rome. Why? Because the churches have been established in, in Asia, Macedonia, and in Greece, but Rome was the center of, of everything. It was the Roman Empire. Now, we know that the gospel had already hit Rome, but what did Paul want to do? He wanted to make an impact. 
He wanted to go and encourage the believers that are there. And I think Paul, you know, wanted eventually to to preach to Caesar. This guy, this guy had big plans. I got to get to Rome. Well, he'll get there, not the way he wanted, but he'll get there. But what do we see? We see that the servant of God stays that course. He has a plan to encourage others, to make disciples. Here's a question for you. What is your plan? Where is God leading you? What is driving you? And is it to make disciples? Is it to encourage believers? Is it to see believers grow and mature in the faith and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why was the church exploding during this time? Because all the believers had that same passion and drive. You want to see revival? Be driven to make disciples. To grow others in the faith and the knowledge. So while Paul is in Troas, he is, he is in this place and he wants to finish well. He's got a short period of time. And notice he's there. He, he gets to Troas. Verse 7 it says, On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread. Paul had been there for a period of time, but the first day of the week. What was he doing? Well, the first day of the week in the church was the Lord's Day. It was Sunday. Now, we know that the church had celebrated this, and so they had gathered together on the first day of the week. It was part of the practice of the church. When Jesus rose, he rose again on Sunday. The Jews would practice worship on Sabbath or, or the sundown Friday to the sundown on Saturday, but the church started practicing worship on Sunday. Why do we worship on Sunday? Because it's the tradition of the Lord's Day. Started by the early church at the day of Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when they would gather together for the breaking of bread and for the teaching and, and such things. And Paul knew that he was going to leave. So here on this Sunday service, they would gather together for prayer, for communion, for teaching, and a fellowship meal. So what did they do? They gathered together to encourage one another within these things. Why? Paul didn't know when he was going to come back to Troas. i got to give you everything I know, everything that's in here, i got to give to you so that you can carry it forward. Why? Because there's nothing written. And so within this, he wanted to, to meet with them. And so he had planned for the whole group to gather together. We know the Lord's Day was a continuing day in the church calendar in history. Again, based on Acts 2.42, also Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, when John says, and I saw in a vision on the Lord's Day. So it's a marked day that is there. Some scholars estimate that this Lord's Day was actually April 24th, A.D. 57. They know that based on the, on the calendar of the unleavened bread and so forth on the Jewish calendar that's there. Does it matter? Not really, other than the fact it was a real event. When we study the Word of God, it can be proved to be true, historically, within this. So the church would meet together for fellowship, for, for prayers, for teaching, for dialogue, and all of these things. And so within this, we see in verses 8 and 9, it had gone into the night. Now, if I go more than 40 minutes, so people are like, is he done yet? I can tell you this, that the early church did not have a set time. They would get together and they would start 
And if it went longer, they keep going. And it went longer and longer and longer. I can tell you this. There is a, a, a truth that the sleep monster that exists today existed in Paul's day. You know who the sleep monster is, right? He sneaks up behind you when you're in church and he grabs you in a sleep hold and choke hold and puts you out. And everybody's going, dang it, he saw me. You'd be surprised what I could see up here. So Paul was teaching. Now the text tells us that he was teaching in what's called the upper room. And it was a multi-story building. Most likely a rich person that would be there. And, these, and typically, these upper rooms were large open areas with windows that, that could be open all the way to the floors. These large openings with a lattice to allow air in. Now, they didn't have light switches or electricity, so they would have lamps, torches or candles or those kinds of things. There would have been a lot of people in this room, crowded in this room, and Paul was teaching, and he was teaching doctrine and, and, and all of these things, and they were having these dialogues that were going on. And if you're not engaged in the dialogue, you'd see easy to get lost. And so it was crowded and warm and long and long. And it was about midnight, and this young man, the word for young man there is an interesting word, it's Neonius. Neonius means young adult. So this guy's a, a young adult. It means somebody that is, is past adolescence but not yet married. And he's there. And he's sitting by the windowsill. And it's about midnight. And Paul is going on. And it's warm. And it's comfortable. And he nods off. And he falls out the window. Now... His name was Eutychus, and he hits the ground from the third floor. Not good. And as Paul is teaching, and so now there's this huge interruption within the message. And so the minister of God, the servant of God, has got to be able to adjust in these unexpected interruptions within this to be able to deal with this. I mean, it's it's, an, it's you imagine somebody you know killing over dead. Kind of changes things, isn't it? So you gotta you gotta work through it. So within this, he falls out the window because as as we see in verses eight and nine, and he falls down to the ground. Everybody rushes out because they know. I mean, you can't miss it. The guy fell out. They rush down and, and they pick him up, and it's like, oh, he's dead. Within this, so what does Paul do? It's it, it, it's really super cool, and I wish I had this as a superpower. Paul goes down to the dead guy, and with confidence he says, he's not dead, the life is still in him, and he lays out on top of the guy and resurrects him, brings him back from the dead. Now, he says he was dead. Luke is writing this, and Luke is a doctor. So this is not, well, he appears to be dead, or if you watch Monty Python, I'm only a little bit dead. This guy was dead. And Paul lays out on this guy. Now, how did he learn to do that? Well, we know that Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17, 21, did it. We know Elisha did it with the Shunammite 
in 2 Kings 4.34. We know Peter raised Dorcas in Acts 9.41. And we know Jesus performed three different resurrections. While resurrections from the dead was not normal, very doable. But what would move Paul to do that? The Holy Spirit. You think about the message. What is he doing? I'm going around and encouraging people to believe. I'm encouraging them to trust in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. And the Holy Spirit would prompt him to say, you want to back up those words? Let's go. And the boy is resurrected. I don't think Paul just said, hey, I think this is a good idea. I'll try this. And he doesn't get much fanfare. And Luke doesn't give him much fanfare, saying this is you know, this incredible miracle and he's now going to start the ministry of the falling on the dead. That's not what he's doing. He's ministering to those in the immediate need by relieving their suffering and in authenticating his message. And he responds with confidence, just like Jesus did in Mark 5.35. Don't be troubled, for his life is still in him. Why? Because the Jesus I preach has the power to give life within this. And so within this, we see he does this, and after the boy is raised up, verses 11 and 12, he goes back up, breaks the bread, talks with them until daybreak, and then took, and the, everybody that took away the boy alive, note, was greatly comforted. Paul didn't stop and say, you know what, I've gone on long enough, people are dropping. No. Paul says, the boy's alive. Let's go back up and finish the service. The taking of the bread could mean one of two things. It could mean they went back up and they had a meal. Or they hadn't celebrated communion yet, the Eucharist. And they went back up to celebrate communion together because it would be the last communion that Paul would have with these believers. And he would finish the message and finish well. Because he gives preeminence to the teaching of the Word of God and didn't allow the crisis to take away from the teaching of the Word of God to be able to finish well. What else does finishing well mean? It means staying the course with the believers and taking them to that place of maturity. Verses 13 to 16 says, But we were going ahead to the ship to sail to Asos, intending from there to take Paul on board, but he had arranged instead for himself to go by land. What's interesting about this is, as they say, okay, now he, the next morning he's getting on a ship and he's going, and they're going to go to Asos. There's five different stops that he will make along the coast. And each one of these cities that are mentioned are a different overnight stop. But the first one, Paul says, I'm not going with you. I'm going to walk. Now, one, it would take the ship a little bit longer, but two, it was a 20-mile walk which is puzzling a little bit, why would Paul walk when you could ride? I'm thinking that's a good thing. I don't get people that run. I got a car. I got a cup holder. It holds my coffee. I'm good. What was he doing? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. 
but I think, my opinion, I think Paul needed some time alone. I think Paul needed some time alone just to separate himself, to be able to just be with his thoughts and refocus and recalibrate. A boy just died on his watch and he raised him from the dead. That's a big deal. To spend some time just walking. And we know that he learned this from Jesus. Who Jesus himself in Mark 1.31 said this. Or Jesus is practice. In the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went away for a secluded place and was praying there. Jesus made it a practice of going and getting away just to be with his father. Whenever you have a significant event or you need to recalibrate, and there are times you will, to stay the course and finish the race, get away and refocus. So Paul takes this journey and we'll, we'll take a look at the cities as Luke narrates those cities again. So from Troas, Paul makes the journey from Troas to Asos. They would have taken the ship and gone around the Cape from Asos, and then he would have boarded the ship and gone to Mytilene, followed through the islands to Chaos. Then he would have gone to Samos. Those of us that went to Turkey this last October, we were able to look at Samos from the city of Ephesus when we were there. But he bypasses Ephesus, and he goes down to Miletus. Why? Well, one of the things that we are told that he intentionally went down to Miletus that was there because he intentionally avoided Ephesus. Why would he intentionally avoid Ephesus? Well, if you've spent two and a half years making disciples and you were in a hurry to get someplace, do you want to go back to that place and get bogged down in all of the relationships and the people you've got to see again? No. So he was following the course of the ship. The ship was going to port in Miletus. We went to Miletus. Miletus is at the end of the Meander River. Through this valley, it was a seaport that was there. Paul would stay there, but while Paul was there, he would summon the elders from Ephesus to come down and have a conversation with him so that he could give some last words to them. To be able to be into that journey, it was only a 30-mile journey for the elders to come down. Why? Because he wanted to finish, because he didn't think he was going to make it back into Ephesus ever again within this. And he was driven to stay the course, to encourage the believers everywhere he went. And if there was a pause, he would meet with the believers and encourage them. He would publicly teach as much as he could. And everywhere he went, the word of God was coming out of his mouth to preach. How did Paul finish well? He stayed the course. The course that God set for him. Your course may be different. In fact, it probably is. Your course is unique to you. Do you know what it is? Do you know where God is taking you? Where God is leading you? You may not know the end, but God will give you the next step. And wherever God guides, God provides. And wherever God leads, He gives you those divine opportunities. Don't miss them. Because you never know how you're going to impact somebody for the kingdom. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've called us to continue to impact this world with your word. Lord, I would pray that as believers that we would know that blessing of impacting others, that we would bring the word that through prayer and encouragement and all of these things. God, you have blessed us with the gift 
of knowledge of your word, may we give it to others. I would pray even now that as we look at the path that you have us on, that we would give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in every aspect of our life, whether it's in the market or at work or at play, and that we would honor the name of Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Bye.
God, as we go out, may we glorify you. Follow your lead. And give people Jesus. May we finish this race. Be faithful to the end. And here, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray for those that are still, have yet to enter that race. That they would realize that you are a good God. That you love them. And you want to forgive them of all of their sin. You want to grace them with eternal life. And it's a gift. If if they'll receive it, you'll give it. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that would receive that gift now, they would do so and just say, God, I want to receive eternal life from you. I trust in you. And if that's you this morning, talk with someone. Find a Christian and say, please, help me understand what it means to be saved. We thank you, God, for all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.